Hello, and welcome to On the Marie Curie Couch, the podcast that aims to break down taboos and start open, honest conversations about death and dying. I'm Jason Davidson. I'm a social worker by profession, and I've worked in palliative care, hospice care, and bereavement support services for more than a decade. Each episode, we'll be speaking to a well-known guest to find out about how they feel about their own mortality and how their personal experience of bereavement has shaped the way they live their life. Today, I'm on the Marie Curie couch with Gabby Roslin. Gabby's a TV and radio presenter who made her name fronting The Big Breakfast on Channel 4 and went on to anchor numerous other shows such as The Terry and Gabby Show, Whatever You Want and City Hospital, as well as BBC's Children in Need coverage alongside Sir Terry Wogan. She currently hosts That Gabby Roslin podcast, interviewing the likes of Dame Judi Dench, David Tennant and Kate Winslet, as well as her weekly BBC Radio London show. Gabby lives in London with her husband and two daughters. Gabby Roslin, welcome to the Marie Curie Couch. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. And I'd like to start by asking Gabby if you could tell us about a significant bereavement you've experienced in your life. Um, well, sadly, a few, but I suppose uh, my mother's death 24 years ago. Uh, she was only 62 and uh, she died of smoking related lung cancer at the same time that dad uh, had bowel cancer and he survived. Um, so that was that was very major in my life, understandably. Then my wonderful granny died um, 21 years ago and I lost three friends inside a couple of years all to cancer. So uh, that's about 10 years ago now, maybe 12 years, but I'd say my mum, uh, without a doubt, was the was the first uh, big death for me. Can we talk a bit about your mum's death? Of course. Can you um, well tell us a bit about her, and then maybe about her diagnosis and what kind of conversations were happening around that time between you and her and the family? She was very strong, very tough, very together um, woman. She was an only child. She had uh, been evacuated in the war, lived on a farm. I think those were probably the happiest years of her life. Um, she couldn't bear the fact she had such concrete kids. She loved animals more than humans. She used to say she loved her dogs more than humans. And if somebody didn't like her dogs, then she didn't like them. She was very, very strong, but very kind. So my mom would do anything for anybody. And I remember when my dad's uncle died. So no relation, no blood relation of my mom's, but my mom uh, went rushing around and stayed with uh, my father's aunt, my great aunt. And it was my mom that went there, not, not the woman's daughter. That's what my mom would do. She'd drop anything for anybody and she'd look after the old people. She'd worked for doctors and she thought she was a doctor herself. <laughs> um, she, was, she was a very strong, very, very kind woman who spoke her mind. So very often we'd find ourselves putting our heads in our hands, just going, oh, mom, why did you say that? She said, well, because I thought it, so you have to say it. So she was like that. And you said your mum died of lung cancer, smoking-related yes. lung cancer. 
Can you tell us about when she was diagnosed? Yeah, well, it was hiding because she had um, something called scleroderma. She also had um, a blood clot on the lung. And uh, so she was on warfarin and she was in and out of hospital for that. And then they and she was coughing up blood and they thought it was to do with warfarin. But then they found that the blood clot was hiding uh, the cancer. By the time they saw the cancer in her lungs, it had got to I think it was her scalp. It had got to her spine. I mean, they didn't tell her straight away because they didn't know. Um, but I have to say that time was a bit of a blur because I had one uh, parent in one hospital with bowel cancer. And he then after his bowel cancer, he had two strokes because he caught a superbug in hospital. So he got C. diff in hospital and had a stroke. And then mum was in and out of hospital with her blood clot and her blood thinning. Then dad came out of hospital. Mum went back into hospital and that's when they found the cancer. And then all that time, dad was out of the hospital, but he then had another stroke because he had he wouldn't heal. His wound wouldn't heal because of the superbug he got. So it was a sort of understandably a bit of a blur of timings. Um, but then in the January of the year mum died, um, I got a call from so mum had had she had uh, radiotherapy, first of all, on on the cancer of the lung. Then she never had chemo for that. I remember my uncle, who's a doctor, calling us up and saying, you know, who knows what it's going to be, but it's it's not looking great, but your mum's very strong, those sort of conversations. And then in the January, uh, the oncologist called me and my father separately um, and said, really have no idea, but it's not good. She could have six weeks to six months. And I kept saying, but how long? And they said, we don't know, but your mother has said she doesn't want to know. So mum and dad, when they both had cancer, had made a... Uh, a vow to each other not to discuss their clock. They didn't want to know how long they had left. They'd both made that decision, which I didn't know about, but you know that this was them while they were both having cancer. Um, and uh, the lovely oncologist said it could be six weeks or six months. And I, I wanted to know how she was going to die and what she was going to die of. And it was a strange thing. I kept saying, but yes, I understand she's got cancer, and I understand she's got lung cancer, but what is she going to die of in six weeks or six months? And she said, well, it can be a number of things. So she talked me through that. And so it was never, never discussed um, back in the hospital because mum had made this decision she didn't want to know. Um, but she, I mean, I used to go to visit. Uh, my day would be dad, mum, and then go to work, and then mum, dad, go home. And uh, I remember going, you know, those last few weeks, we did, as I said, we didn't know how long it was going to be. It was six weeks after um, we were told, it was six weeks later on Valentine's Day that she died. And um, I remember the night before her just saying to my dad, Clive, you're, you're fine now, you're all fine now. And weirdly, my dad had an appointment on the 14th of February to see whether he got the all clear from his cancer, which he'd had the year earlier. And if he'd gone to the uh, doctor's uh, meeting that day, obviously he didn't because uh, that's the day mum died. But if he'd gone, he would have been told he got the all clear. So the night before mum said, 
Clive, you're fine. You're all clear. And, you know, every every time we saw her, it was always go on. Will you go home, please? And have some something to eat. Go home. Look after the dogs. Uh, she was more concerned about her dogs, as I said, than anything. So she, look after her dogs. And I had a dog um, and uh, go home. Uh, love you. She'd always say love you. And then we got a phone call the next morning about quarter to eight said uh, that you need to get there quickly. And in the time it took for us to get to the hospital, she died. But my mum would not have wanted us there. She was one of those. It would be like, I'm not I don't want to fuss. And apparently she said to the nurse, uh, the, the nurse said, try to put um, oxygen on her. She went, no, thank you. No, that's it. And she died. So that was very, very, very much my mother. Looking back on it now, um, I can smile about it because I know how much that was my mum. Uh, and then because uh, we are Jewish, uh, we had the funeral uh, 48 hours later. And it, it was sort of all very, very quick and fast. And um, but, but what's so strange about looking back on that time, I think for a lot of people, when I tell them about it, they just said, how did you cope? And you just do. You just do. Mm. Get on with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there was a lot to get on with as well, yeah, wasn't there? Yeah. I know your mum didn't want to talk about her death, and her and your dad had made the pact that they wouldn't want to talk the clock with each other. Um, did you talk about it? Were you able to talk about it to, to people around you? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And my best friend, who's still my best friend to this day, she was amazing. She was heavily pregnant. It was her second child who waited he knew that I needed her because he was due. I think he was due the same day and he waited four days later. So he's very precious. He was my godson. But I but I needed her at the funeral. And um, but yes, I did talk about it. And actually, I talked. And this is a strange thing to say, but I talked to myself about it. So I I don't feel there was anything left unsaid or unthought. So I thought about a lot of things and. Um, I thought about sort of silly things and I thought about nice things and I thought about sad things, but I, I came to terms with the fact that she was dying. When she died, it was a hell of a shock. So there's no denying it, that shock. I remember literally sort of this strange sound coming out of me when I didn't, I didn't know where the sound came from. I realized it came from me when the nurse said, don't go in, I'm afraid she's died. And, um, and there was this strange sound, but I, I knew that she was dying and there were there were bits of my life that I thought about in those few weeks. There were things like her dog, like I said, her dogs, thinking about that, thinking about what she said she'd always wanted. Um, there were, you know, all, all of this. I, I think I made peace with her dying before she died. And I think that's, for me, I was very lucky that I had that time to do all of that and to talk about her. She wasn't perfect. None of us are perfect. Um, and, and to be able to know that I had to then look after my dad, that was my absolutely 100%. That's what I was thinking about. I think if I, anyone that goes through it, I'd say to them now, um, in retrospect, anytime I speak to a friend, I say, will you please remember to look after yourself? Because I didn't, because I didn't, I was sort of grabbing any food when I could, because obviously I was going to do different hospitals and I was working full time. But I, and I didn't go to the gym because that felt like uh, something selfish, but actually go to the gym. All of those things I say to people, you need to look after yourself because you have to have the strength. 
Um, uh, but something very um, amazing happened. In about a week or two weeks before she died, they'd moved her from one hospital to another. And um, she was reading the paper and she said, oh, they're talking about a new show on the BBC where you grant people's wishes. And I said, yes. She said, well, that sounds exactly the sort of show you should be doing. I said, yeah, that's exactly the sort of show I'd like to do. So she said, no, 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 I think you should do that show. I went, oh, yeah, it's just like that, Mum. They're going to go, hey, you come and do that show. Uh, Ten days after she died, I got a phone call about that exact show. And I went for a meeting for that show and I got it. It was called Whatever You Want. So um, that's one of those things that I thought she knows. She felt it. She knew it. She knew I was going to do it. So, yeah, it's a nice little Nice little story about it. Yeah, it is. It's really lovely. And I think they're they're really important, those stories, I think, aren't they, as well? Yeah, you know, yeah. They give meaning to the experience as well, don't they? Absolutely. Um, when you were younger, was death and dying something that was spoken about? What messages did you get about death? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, and actually, the first loss that we had was the dog, our dog dying. Mm. And it was my mum's first baby. He was called Bazooka. He died when I was 11. He was a Staffordshire Bull Terrier and he was amazing. And I remember writing about it. I was very upset going into school and the teacher said, will you write us a story about Bazooka? And then when I wrote it, he said, now read it out in the class. And it was a really amazing thing for that teacher to do. But, but as, as flippant as it sounds, I think it's quite important for kids to go through that. And it really did teach me about loss and that sort of thing. But I'd never had a human being die. So mum was the first one. Oh, no, so my, uh, her father died, but I wasn't that close to him. I was much closer to my other grandparents, my dad's parents. So mum was the first close family member who had died. You mentioned that you'd made peace with the fact your mum was dying before she died. Can we talk a bit about bereavement and grief? Absolutely. You touched on the importance of, um, you know, looking after yourself kind of physically and mentally when you're caring for somebody else as well, you know, and you're incredibly busy, lots on and lots to think about. And in your situation, it wasn't just one person, you know, you were running from hospital to hospital. And um what was your experience of bereavement like, Gabby, when your mum died? Um, I don't remember the exact time, but I, because it's now over 24 years ago, I've regaled the same story. But what I say to everybody is I remember this heavy heart. And I was saying it to somebody the other day who a dear friend of ours who's just lost her father to COVID. He was early 60s. And so same age as my mom, and he was a very well fit man. And he just died inside 10 days of COVID. And she said she couldn't get over this heavy feeling in her heart. And I said, it is, it's heartache, heartbreak, whatever. So I remember that and feeling slightly breathless. Um, and I remember being angry. And I think there's nothing wrong with having those. I thought, how, how did you leave me with dad still not well? And and then I remember when I had my first daughter, who was, she's nearly 20, so mum had been dead four and a half years. And I remember when I had my baby, I was angry with mum that she wasn't there because she'd always promised that she'd help look after the baby. She always said, when you have children, they're going to sleep over at ours. 
once a week so you get some sleep and I remember thinking at the time mom you're not here you always promised you would be so it's the anger thing I think is completely justified and understandable so when people say they feel angry I'll say no it's an emotion feel it um I remember laughing about things that she did and then having slight guilt that I was laughing about some things and I thought no I will um and also the biggest I think the biggest thing for me was being in the public eye for as long as I have been um it's 34 years now and for years and years and years and apologies if people have heard this before but it's how I feel um the press always always went on about um oh Gabby you're always so happy you're always so you always are so positive you're not really like that, are you? You're not always happy. You're not always smiling. You're not always positive. And I used to say, well, I am. I'm so sorry. And then when mum died, I thought, I am never apologising again for being happy. So I don't. I don't apologise about the fact that I have always been a happy, positive person. I'm never apologising about the fact that I've always wanted to work in television and radio. And I've always wanted to spread the joy because that's what I used to think when I was a child I thought oh if you can make somebody else happy then there's no greater thing to do so I'm never apologizing for that again so that is a big lesson I learned and also to live for the day because you never know when it could end and I think when my all my young friends died you know my my beautiful friend Rachel who died of a, a brain tumor and two other friends mother and daughter who died of breast cancer secondary breast cancer all inside a couple of years you just live for the day and carry on being happy and I know that sounds like I'm pushing it all to one side and saying it doesn't exist of course grief exists but I don't feel guilty at all for being positive and happy and enjoying life talking and preparing can make life better at the end find more inspiration support and tools including our conversation cards to get you thinking and talking about the end of life at mariecurie.org.uk forward slash talk about. So the positivity has helped. Is there anything else? And I realise we're talking about a while back when your mum died, but also, as you've just described, you've had more recent losses. Um, is there anything else for certainly for our listeners, that you found helpful with, you, with your grief? Talking, 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 mm. talking. I never stop talking. I talk for a living. I interview people for a living. I'm a, I'm a broadcaster and an interviewer. Listen and talk, talk and listen. Um, and they're a wonderful, you know, the reason I said yes to this happily is I think Marie Curie do an amazing job. Uh, and I think there are other charities, you know, it's not like Marie Curie go around with blinkers and say we're the only ones we know that there are other charities out there there are people you can talk to I know a lot of people have found the past the, the sort of the past 15 months incredibly difficult with with um death and loss through covid through cancer through so many awful things and being apart and talking has been the key and I think I've always gone on about talking and I think people now appreciate it even more um, doing a radio show and doing a podcast myself, I realise that what people do want is uh, a conversation. People want conversation. 
And uh, I think that's very important. And if you're feeling alone, there's always, always someone that you can talk to, whether it be um, the various charities, whether it be Marie Curie, whether it be the other charities, whether it be your local radio station, whatever it is, please, please, please talk. Um, whether it's your next door neighbor, somebody that, I mean, I talk to, I walk, um, at the moment I'm walking nine miles a day and I talk to everybody and everybody talks to me. They have done since I was a child, I have to say. Even when I was a little girl on the bus, people would tell me their life story. It's always happened. I think I, and that's why I ended up doing what I do. But but talk, you know, if you're walking in the street and somebody's standing there, um, talk, talk, just speak, talk about how you feel. Often, you know, we hear from people that the, the opposite happens, even 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 with a neighbor or somebody who they know, um, you know, when, when they're grieving, they'll, they'll just they'll talk about how people will kind of cross the road, you know, when they see them walking down the street because they don't know what to say yes. or they're scared of grief. That's the thing. That, that's another thing that everybody always says, you know, oh, well, so and so's lost um, their parent or so and so's lost their child. I don't know what to say. You let them say it. So instead of putting, you know, you can just say, do you want to talk about it? They can just as easily say no. And if I don't, I mean, I never didn't talk about the loss. So for me, because I find talking easy, easier than some people, I suppose, um, uh, I talked, but some people don't find it easy. So you just have to ask, you just, oh, just that little question. It's that thing about, um, you know, if somebody's, thinking that they can't go on you know and there have been a lot of people that have felt that recently and uh just breaking that moment as you know as the job that you do just that moment where they're thinking that very dark thought if you can break in and just say hello just that word can take somebody out of where they are and bring them around and just and just say look do you want to talk about it and Oh, you can. The other thing is, which you'll know very well, um, whenever I talk to somebody who has had a loss and then I'll say, you know, I don't know what to say to you. Do you want to talk about it? So you hand it to them. They might say, you know what? I just um, I can't feel like I don't feel like I don't want to. And that's up to them. That's not that's not wrong. There's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong. There are no rules. That's the other thing I say to a lot of people. There aren't rules about how to grieve. And, and whenever I put a post on um, for Mother's Day on social media, I always say, look, you know, I don't have a mum and there's lots of people out there who don't. And there are a lot of people who can't become mums, uh, even though they try and it breaks their heart. So you just just talk about how you feel. But there's no right or wrong. Nobody's going to say, how dare you not? I mean, I know people who don't want to talk about um, the anniversary of the death of someone. That's fine. They can do what they want. It's up to them. Everybody's different. And I think that's great advice as well that you're saying, you know, ask somebody what they want, you know, what's best for you. If you don't want to talk right now, you know, I'm, I'm here or that's absolutely fine. Or, you know, can I do something a bit more practical, like bring you over some food, yep. shopping, milk? My best friend brought chicken soup over, as you can imagine, when my mum died. <laughs> there was a lot of food brought over. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that that, that, that is great advice. Um I'd like to move forward a bit now and um, ask, 
do you ever think about your own death? Uh, yes, I do. But I, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> I've got too much to do. I love life too much. I'm, I'm the person that, I mean, I always tell everybody I'm 33 because I've got another lifetime still to go. And I, um, I do really appreciate every single day and I want to make the most of it. And even when I was a child and now, you know, I mean, I did a, a program all about sleep on television and I had to be honest and say in it, I, I used to think that sleep was a waste of time because I want the day to start. So when I was a little girl, I used to get dressed the night before and my parents used to come in. My mum used to come in and go, Gabby, what are you doing? I said, but I can't wait for the next day. So can you just put your pyjamas on? No, I want the next day. So I couldn't get to sleep because I was excited about today. And then I'd wake up very early because I wanted the next day because there were all sorts of exciting things to do and all sorts of TV shows to watch and all sorts of TV programs to pretend I was presenting. So there were too many exciting things. And I've, I'm still like that. I, this morning I woke up at five o'clock and I thought, oh, what am I doing today? Yeah, and I'm, I am like that. So uh, I've always been like that. So from a kind of practical point of view, and this is something we talk about, our listeners, um, you know, have told us they find useful, um, is, you know, we, we know that if we have conversations about death and dying or think about our own deaths, even on a practical level, um, so, so writing a will or, you know, putting down in writing what our sort of basic funeral wishes might be. Oh, I know that. Have you done some of those practical things? I've told, yeah, no, I've written my will. But I also, my kids know that at my funeral, I want everybody in colourful clothes and I want everyone singing. And the campest songs ever, and it has to be musical theatre. Brilliant. And, you know, I think that kind of, um, if, if that stuff's not written down or it's not spoken about, it's not discussed, then the likelihood is it's probably not going to happen. And so, you know, we as a charity would certainly encourage people to have those conversations. They can be difficult, but actually, if you you know, not necessarily ask somebody if they think about their own death, like I've just asked you, but if you start off a conversation by saying, have you thought about writing a will or do you have one or have you thought about, you know, documenting wishes for, for your funeral? Um, that's that's another way in. Yeah, absolutely. I don't suppose I've asked, this thinking I haven't asked any of my friends what they want. I know what my husband wants um, and they know what I want. Everything's just got to be camp and loud for me how I've lived my life. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, what's it meant to you, Gabby, today to come on the Marie Curie couch? It's just lovely to be able to talk about, um, so I, I actually to talk about my mum and to talk about uh, hopefully helping other people to cope. Because I think that even though it's the one inevitable thing that we're going to go through, losing our parents, ourselves dying, losing friends around us. We don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't sit here and think, oh, I wonder when. But it's important to know how other people have coped. And I think we all have coping mechanisms. And I think we all learn. We're, we're like sponges. And the more we learn, the more we take in from other people, hopefully it can help. Um, but also, I just think it's really important for people to know that there are no rules about grieving. And um, like I said earlier, I think if you can remember that however you feel is how you feel, it's not wrong, it's not right, there's no perfect way. Um, 
just make sure you feel those things. And if you don't feel anything, it will happen at some stage. That's also fine. You know, they, these people say, but why, do, why, why aren't I crying? Why aren't I remembering um, this, this thing that happened? Or, or why can't I picture them? All it will come. You know, we all have certain blockages, but the more you're able to talk, those things will suddenly come out. And I'll get moments, I still will, you know, like I said, over 24 years later, I will get moments where um, it's always to do with work because I love my job. I have to say that COVID has made me realize that I'm not obsessed and I'm not addicted, which is what I've said for years to my job. No, I love my job. So it's proper love. And so if I hear about a, a new show, I'll get this tight. It's so the second is so split that it's a split of a split of a split of a second where I think, oh, my God, I must tell mom. And but even it's not long enough for me. It's it's barely perceptible. But, you know, I barely feel it. I can't explain. And then I'll just look at my husband and go, I did it again. I suddenly thought I must tell mom, but I can't. But I know that she's there watching over. What was your mum's name? Jackie. Actually, it was Jacqueline, but everyone called her Jackie. Yeah. And I think that's, I was going to use the word comforting. It kind of, I think, I, I find it comforting sometimes, um, you know, with losses I've experienced. But I think that thing about regardless of how long ago it was, you know, as you've just described, you can just still have that moment where you think of the person you've lost, you know, where they come into kind of full view almost. Um, and, you know, they, 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 in sort of grief work, they talk about continuing bonds um, and the fact that, you know, um, the person will always be with you, um, you know, the person that you've lost. And so that grief never, never ends. It just changes shape. It does. I mean, with the girls, they always talk about Granny Jackie, that they never knew her, but she exists. And we've got photos of her and they'll say, Oh, they'll always ask me about it. And they'll always say, oh, what would she have thought of this that I'm doing? Or, you know, when, when my eldest daughter got into university, I said, oh, Granny Jackie would have been so proud. So, you know, she's very much a part of their lives. I mean, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here. They wouldn't be here. So they're very aware of that. Mm. And something else you were talking about just before as well, I think, um, is about how our experiences of grief are all completely unique to us. And so, you know, that thing about no right and wrong, I think that's a great message. But the grief we experience depends on the relationship we've had with the individual. And yours and your mum's relationship was unique to both of you, wasn't it? So therefore, your experience of grief will be as well. Um, sometimes siblings will have very different experiences of losing a parent because they had a yeah. different relationship with them. Again, there's no right or wrong. I mean, it's, and then when my granny died, who I was so close to, she died two years after mom. They lived in Africa and, and I still, there'll be times where I'll, I'll also think of her or talk about her, which they're very, they're very, um, big in in my life still you know I'll I often talk about granny as if granny were alive I don't mean you know it's just I'll tell the kids and they'll say your great-grandmother but my granny and she's very much 
a part of all of our lives. And I think years and years and years ago, you know, cancer was ne- was always whispered. I you know people say, oh, they've got, um, or this, this, you know, the C word. Or people would say, oh, they, you, if you talk about them, you shouldn't talk. Now they've died. You don't talk about it. So I think it's if you're able to. Again, no rules. Some people don't want to talk about the person who's died. Um, but if you're able to talk about them, how wonderful. And they're still in your life. If you can't talk about them, then that's fine too. Just before we finish, we know, we've heard back from our listeners that um, people find the podcast really helpful and supportive when either they're caring for somebody who's terminally ill and dying um, or they're grieving um, and, and going through a bereavement. Is there any your words of advice based on your experiences that you would just want to share before we finish, Gary? I think I've said them. Talk. Look after yourself. Um, don't feel guilty if you smile. Uh, live life. You, this is your journey is your journey. And you must, if you can, remember how lucky you are to be alive. And absolutely care for that person or those people. But And talk, 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 talk. But they're, like I keep saying... Don't beat yourself up because there's no wrong or right. There's no right way to do grief. There's no wrong way. There's no right way to look after somebody apart from how you know they want looking after, how as much as you can give, um, but also look after yourself. You've really got to look after yourself, which, as I said, I I didn't do very well um, and I was exhausted by the end of it. But uh, if you find yourself in that situation, please don't drink too much. Don't do all of those things that can numb you. Live in the moment, but look after yourself. If, if what you do is, if you like to play squash once a week and you feel guilty for doing, play squash. I don't know where that came from. I don't play squash, but you know what I mean? <laughs> if you want to, if you, if you walk like I do and you think, oh no, I haven't got time. Yes, you have. You know what you have. Give yourself those 10 minutes just to do something you love. If you want to do a quick workout in the gym, go to the gym. If what you really, really love is, um i don't know having a an orange juice with ice and with your headphones in listening to crazy music do that you can tell i don't drink booze can't you i went to orange juice with ice <laughs> gabby roslin thank you for joining me on the marie curie couch today thank you for sharing your mum jackie's story and thanks for your positive energy it's rubbed off a bit on me i think <laughs> oh i'm so pleased that if we could all you know what, if if that famous thing that, you know, started in America and was it paying it forward, if you can make one person feel good, then hopefully they'll go off and make somebody else feel good. And if you're caring for somebody and you just make them feel a little bit better, you'll feel a little bit better as well. And thank you to Marie Curie, because I think they're a phenomenal charity. I think they do amazing work. And I'm very honoured to be a part of this charity. So that's all for this episode of On the Marie Curie Couch. We hope it's got you thinking about matters of life and death and perhaps starting those conversations with your own friends and family. Marie Curie's here to help. From planning ahead to coping with bereavement, you can talk through any concerns you have around the end of life with our support line team, which also includes specially trained nurses. Call us on 0800 090 
1909 or search Marie Curie online. The podcast's produced and edited by Marie Curie with support from Ultimate Sound and Vision. And the music featured is Time Lapse by Panoceanic. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe. Thanks for listening. And until next time, goodbye.